Hello, everybody. It is uh, Thursday, the 2nd of... I'm going to turn this off, actually. Hang on. It is Thursday, the 2nd... Excuse me, not the 2nd. The 22nd of October, 2020. My name is Luke Thomas. This is episode 52 of the Luke Thomas live chat. I hope everyone is doing well. I am happy that you are here. I hope that our... uh, Let me turn this up a little bit. All right, all right. There we go. Uh, I think that's better with the audio. Anyway, we're going to get to a lot today. UFC 254. Um, what are we going to get to? We're going to get to Khabib. We're going to get to Gaethje. Any other questions that you guys had? If I apologize for sweating. I just showered after uh, lifting weights in my front yard. Well, I got a story about that. This is weird dude that uh, comes by every time I do it. But uh, okay. With that out of the way, let's get this started. Give the video a thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button. We have a bunch of stuff to get to. Do we not? Yes, we do. All right. And we are back. Okay. Um, yeah, so <laughs> the weather's nicer. So I've been lifting weights in my uh, front yard a little bit more. Um, gyms are open, but you have to wear a mask like the entire time you're there, which I've done a couple of, I've done that a few times, but, um, you know, it's just not the funnest experience in the world. You know, you can be pro mask and still realize that wearing masks licks balls, which is the, uh, position that I've come to certainly when you're lifting weights. Anyway, so I've got enough equipment to lift in my front yard (laughs) and every time I do, man, there's this homeless dude who comes by. I mean, I don't, okay. Maybe he's not homeless. I think he's homeless. He certainly meets all the outward, uh, you know, he looks the part, I'll put it that way. And, uh, he always appears to be like drunk as drunk as a skunk. (laughs) And every time he comes by, man, he's not asking for food or money or water, which I'd be all too happy to give him. It's like, I don't care. It's fine. You know, um, (laughs) he always goes, Hey man, let me lift weights with you. (laughs) And every time, man, every time I say, uh, no, I'm good, man. You know, I'm trying to be polite. I don't want to be, I don't want to be super rude to the guy. Every time I'm like, nah, man, I'm good. It's a solo operation here. He literally says the exact same thing. I mean, he'll slightly tweak it time to time. But then he'll go, it's always been my life's dream to lift weights with you. <laughs> and I'm always like, dude, what? What the fuck are you talking about? Uh, so, anyway. Uh, so that's an unusual experience. All right. All right. Someone says, do I use kettlebells? Uh, Yes. Not every time, though. All right. Let's get to your questions. We put up a thread on the community tab. Usually, uh, one day in advance. So let me pull that up, and I will get to your questions. Go there right now. There we are. Okay. Let's do this. Sorry about that story. It's just I can't. I've never have. I've never had anything like that happen. And it's you know this is it's twice a week at this point. Same shit. It's been my live stream to work out. All right. Let's get to it. First question. Hi Luke. I always hear uh, about how Khabib dominates in training against welterweights and even some middleweights. So how do you think he does against the top five of welterweight? And why do you think he is so reluctant to go to 170 even with his weight struggles? Because I'm not sure how much I believe those stories. I mean, 
I am certain that it is true that if you go back and listen, and let me make sure everything looks uh, and sounds good. I got somebody watching on my behalf this time. Uh, let's see. How does it sound? Should be fine, but just want to make sure. Um, I'm not in any way suggesting that he doesn't have success against welterweights or on occasion middleweights, right? I'm sure he's strong. I'm just not sure what that's supposed to mean. I mean, in every training room, there's going to be a scenario where somebody very, very good takes an L on a certain day or, you know, when they're tired or when they do a particular kind of exercise or drill or, you know, a situational sparring, right? Like you have to, someone has your back, you have to escape or, you know, you, one person can only throw jabs, only person can use head movement or whatever the case. I'm sure in those situations he's done well. And I'm not even suggesting that the general tenor of what they're trying to say, which is that he is very competitive in general against those people, is necessarily wrong. But, like, first things first. Number one, take every training story you hear with a grain of salt. Like, when you train with somebody and you train with them a long time, it's, you get a real camaraderie with them. You begin to think of them... You know, if you have any real respect for them, and I would imagine Khabib was the kind of guy who can help instill respect, you're going to think of them on their best terms very often, you know? And, um, which isn't to say that he couldn't go up there and do well against Walter Waits. I'm just saying, like, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Also, he's got work to do at 155. Now, maybe he goes in there and blows the doors off of Gaethje, at which point I think this question becomes a lot more relevant, right? But let's just answer the question as it stands. He hasn't done, he hasn't finished 155 yet, right? I mean... There's still work to do there before we even talk about how he would do against the top 170ers. And my hunch is it would be exactly what you think it would be, a lot fucking harder. Like, do I think he's going to take down and hold down Colby Covington for 20 of 25 minutes? I definitely don't. Definitely don't. Uh, I don't think they're the same size. I've seen them both in person. They don't look the same. Um, So, you know, I am certain that he, uh, metaphorically speaking punches above his weight I have no doubt that that is true I just feel like you know I, I mean for example I had Javier Mendez on my show once and Javier told me he's never been tapped in training mm. <laughs> it's like I'm not suggesting Javier is lying maybe Javier's never seen him tapped in training but it's like he didn't get tapped like his first year in Sambo really um dude Cobrinha gets tapped in training Marcelo Garcia gets tapped in training it happens extremely infrequently, but it does happen. Bouchesha gets tapped. Like, it, it, like I don't know, Adolfo Vieira, same thing. I mean, it all, it, I don't, it, the, the culture is built upon that as a mechanism for many things, one of which is growth. You know, you've, you've never lost. I mean, I just don't understand what that's supposed to mean. So um, there's a lot of stories about, you know, Paul Bunyan. And his big blue ox in the training room. And I'm sure a lot of it is true. But pump, pump the brakes on it just a little bit. All right. Hey, like, what are your thoughts on Masvidal vocalizing more his political views, views Excuse me, like Colby? Do you think Masvidal sees any monetary value in talking about politics and makes it easier in negotiating with Dana? considering Colby seems to be more satisfied with the money he is making, or do you think he is genuinely concerned about a Biden administration in terms of what law and order means under Biden and taxes being raised? Uh, Probably more the latter. To be clear, I don't know how much he has to do with his social media channels. I know his manager has a big hand in that. 
Um, not in some kind of nefarious way, but just more in a uh, let me do the heavy lifting kind of thing. Um, so, you know, it was a question about how much he is authoring all of that. My my hunch is that uh, they're somewhat, I mean, I've had conversations with his management. I think they're in lockstep in terms of their views. So, you know, I doubt he's taking, to the extent that he is authoring uh, a lot of those tweets, I doubt he is going, you know, far outside of... Um, you know, uh, Jorge's standard beliefs. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, Jorge spent a long time in the trenches, you know, being overlooked and ignored or respected, but respected, you know, to a moderate degree. And then he exploded. And there's a lot of things you can do when you explode. One is you can make more money. You know, two, you can turn that into other businesses like Connor did. And then three, another one is political activism. Uh, I, I, I suppose I have to tell you, on some level, I sort of respect it that, you know, he also is getting into the liquor business, too, with Recuerdo. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, if you think about it, you know, I've been covering MMA since, in, in terms of presidential elections, uh, professionally since 08. So that would be what? Obama-McCain? And then Obama-Romney, uh, right? 012. And then 16 would be the Trump and uh, Clinton one. I don't think I've ever seen fighters speak out in the way that they have politically uh, like this. I can't recall this happening during Obama-McCain or uh, Obama-Romney at all. I don't even recall... Oops, excuse me. I don't even recall this happening, frankly, um, during Trump-Hillary. I thought it was a little bit more... Let me turn this down just a little bit. I thought it was a little bit more... um, hands off at that time relative to what it is right now. So there's something to be said for the moment, I think in general is causing a lot of people to speak out in either direction. Uh, You know, these are unusual times and you know, when you have a lot of notoriety and attention and you want to leverage that for things you think are important, um, then, you know, you can do that. That's one of the things he has done. I, I, I don't think that, uh, it has a whole lot to do with like getting in the UFC's good graces. I'm sure that it probably is better for Dana that they're all in political lockstep. I mean, it can't hurt, right? But my hunch is that whatever you make of Jorge's views, whether you agree with them or whether you do not, is he making them from a genuine place of his actual political priority? I, w- I would imagine that he is, right? I would imagine that, you know, uh, again, I don't agree with Jorge on hardly any of that stuff, but, you know, when your dad came over in a in a raft and had to make it to this country, the fact that you inevitably, as the child of an immigrant, take a political stance that you deem in, in honor of that, right? And a lot of Cubans have a lot of, in Miami, have a lot of right-wing views in that regard. That's probably a good faith approach to politics. That's not me telling you to agree. That's not me telling you to disagree. It's just, is he an honest broker? Is this a real thing that he cares about? My, my hunch is yes. Plus, there's a cost to it all, right? Like, if you if you get behind a candidate and they lose and they lose badly, uh, that could come back to haunt you. Now, conversely, if they come back and, you know, Trump has some kind of moment like he did in 2016 where he essentially beat the expectations in the polls, uh, it could look great for him, too. All I'm pointing out is there's a risk involved there. So, 
Um, but I do think he's doing it in good faith, not for some kind of currying favor with his uh, fighting promoter. How will Justin benefit from training with Usman in preparation for the Khabib fight? Do you think Usman and Khabib's style of wrestling is too different? Uh, there was no point in Justin's training with Usman. Wait, say that again? How much will Justin benefit training with Usman? Okay. Do you think Usman and Habib's style of wrestling are too different? Uh, okay. So, my hunch is that if you asked Usman to mimic Habib, there's going to be limits to what he can do. I've got a video coming out later today. I put one out on Tuesday, I believe, about the various threats that I saw that Gaethje potentially poses to now, we don't know in totality what those are really going to be. We're just making educated guesses. But just some of the things that he does really well and then things he does really well that could be applicable given what we know about Nurmagomedov, right? I'm going to do the same for Nurmagomedov to, uh, to Justin. That'll be out later today. That'll be on my personal YouTube channel. Why do I bring this up? Because here's what's funny about Justin versus Nurmagomedov. And uh, Trevor Whitman was alluding to this earlier, I think today or yesterday. He was noting that there's just not a lot of tape on number, on, uh, on Justin. Let me make sure this is going all right. Yeah, okay. He was noting there's just not a lot of tape, especially in the wrestling department. And I, I noted, I did two sections in that video, one on the striking and one on the wrestling. And I noted, like, there's just not a lot you can say. There's some stuff you can say, but you have to be very careful about all of it, Okay. With Nurmagomedov, there is an extraordinary amount of tape. Huge. Volumes. Reams of it. And some people don't know... I mean, actually some. Most people don't know how to watch tape. They don't know how to do it. They don't know what to look for, and they don't know how to place someone at a moment in time. So, for example, what do I mean by that? It's one thing to identify the various things that Nurmagomedov does well or does poorly... It's another one to understand it as a function of his development. I have seen all over the internet, social media, blah, 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 people keep bringing up the T-Bow fight as if this is fucking relevant at all. Like, Justin may stop the takedowns of Nurmagomedov. I mean, most, most of his opponents stop his takedowns in large part. He is sub-50% Nurmagomedov on takedowns. He's closer to 40. So he whiffs on virtually, almost, six out of every ten. Three of every five, no good. People stop his takedowns, right? That's not the issue. But the idea that, I mean, that T-Bow fight was, what, 2012? Eight years ago? And people think that this is some kind of relevant piece of information you could look at as a way to identify how Nurmagomedov fights now? It's silly. It's totally silly. But the good news for Usman is if you take, and this is what I did in my video, if you take the last five years, which is a much more relevant sector, and you look at what he does, you can't mimic, I don't think, the totality of it or some of the ing uh, ingenuity of it. I mean, one of the things that Nurmagomedov does really well, almost superior to his peers, Josh Thompson got into some trouble for articulating this, but he was 1,000% correct, is that I've never seen somebody who can marry a lot of the traditional takedowns of wrestling, which is you know singles, doubles, high crotch lifts, that kind of a thing, and then marry that with the trips of judo, you know, so Harai Goshi, Uchimata, Tai Toshi, Osotogari. And then on top of that, he's got all the folk style wrist rides and, you know, leg rides. And he's got knee on belly. Now, 
people in wrestling might say, well, wrestling has all those throws. And people in judo might say, there's Morote Gari, which is a double leg. That's true. But, I mean, he's got the fluidity of a judoka with the fluidity of a wrestler and then the fluidity of a sort of a top-pressure game folk-style rider. No one else in MMA can do that. Not, not with the ease with which he can weave it all in between. Not like that at all. But what that ends up doing a little bit is, while that in particular is hard to segment, and this gets to the answer of your question, he can situational drill. There are a lot of things that Nurmagomedov goes back to and goes back to and goes back to and goes back to because they've been very successful and a lot of them are low risk, high reward. A lot of that you can drill. A shitload of that you can drill. So in the totality of the experience, if Habib gets, you know, uh, double unders or a, a waist lock around him and you have to play, who, who said it, Brian Ortega, and you got to play chess with the guy, trouble. That's going to be trouble as the longer he has to do. But to the extent he finds himself in, I think, these identifiable situations where he had drilled for it because there was, at this point, just an enormous amount of recent tape on him that is relevant, I think that... In that sense, Usman is only going to be very, very valuable. Super valuable. And Usman's style is very similar to Khabib's style. It's a lot of like big takedown, uh, lifts at the waist, high crotch lifts, single leg dumps. He's got some double legs. And then on top, it's a lot of leg rides, wrist rides, that kind of thing. Now, uh, Khabib is a little bit more uh, capable as a passer. He's a little bit more capable as an elbow isolator, right? You want to get the elbow away from the body. He's good about that. Remember, he nearly had a Kimura on, what was it, Connor in the second round? He's very, very good at that kind of a thing. He's good about weaving the, the leg ride into or going from half guard to neon belly, neon belly to the back, back to neon belly to the, you know, all different kinds of stuff. So he's really, really good about that kind of a thing, which is unique. So there are some other elements to it, but all those things you can identify and train around. And I suspect that he has. Whether that will be enough in the end, your guess, you know, is as good as mine. Apart from UFC fighters, do you think sports athletes in general get paid too much, such as soccer players, American football, and basketball players? I wonder how you feel about it considering public service workers, such as police doctors, don't make nearly as much but contribute more to society. There are going to be people that dismiss this as a silly question, but I'm not one of them. I actually am completely in line with this. God, what was her name? Let me see if I can find it. There is a, uh, a philosopher who wrote a book to this effect. God, what is her name? Let me see if I can find it, y'all. Um, think about it this way. When the pandemic hit, every one of us, me included, paid lip service to you know, frontline workers. And the frontline workers were different this time. It was not merely uh, you know, doctors, which in many cases are always on the front lines, uh, even in war to an extent. But, you know... Uh, policemen and firemen, yes, the, the traditional ones, but now, you know, people who worked at grocery stores and, you know, whoever early on was the one who didn't have the opportunity to stay at home. And it's like, if these people mean this much to us and caregivers for the elderly, for example, then why do, don't we pay them? And then the answer ends up being, well, they don't generate the kind of money that we need to generate in order to justify that cost. Like, how much do they generate for the business such that, you know, we have to pay them a fair wage, um, which I think is perfectly fine in the ruthless sort of union versus um, sports organization world in basketball or football or whatever else. Uh, but it's a conception of value. I mean, you can't say 
that police are the most valuable uh, in a time of need or military or, you know, nurses or, or whatever, and then pay them poverty wages, right? I mean, there is a clear disconnect. God, what is her name? Let me see if I can find it here. Um, she wrote a whole book to this effect, a whole book. Uh, what is her name? Outlining this and how this idea of the value of labor, this idea that it's a function of what, to what extent it raises the profits of the business, um, is totally, it, fr- frankly, somewhat new. It's only an 18th century invention. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Hold on. Her name is, oh, uh, yes, she's an economist, excuse me, Mariana Mazzucato. She has a book called The Value of Everything, and, um, Basically, how can you call workers essential and then treat them as disposable? Low wages offered little respect. And the different states... uh, uh, Yeah. I I don't have enough on me to accurately state the totality of her position, but I know that she argues a a little bit that this idea of the conception of the value of labor uh, has to be retooled to account for those realities. You can't call someone essential, frontline valuable... Uh, and then have a way in which you pay them that doesn't honor that reality. Uh, or just call them something else and say you don't value them. But if you do, and it actually is important to you, there's a way you have to rework it. I'm sorry I cannot restate the full... The full um, I think I have the book and I've just not read it yet. Yes, this is one of the ones on my... That's my to-do list right there. This is it. Mariana Mazzucato, The Value of Everything, Making and Taking in the Global Economy. And... Uh, Yeah, this is I got a bunch on my to-do list. This is uh this is one of them. There we go. All right. Do you think Justin will utilize his leg kicks as much as he has in his past few fights or will he be more reliant on his hands knowing the risk of a takedown? Well, it's probably going to be both, right? You don't want to limit your weapons, you don't want to go too crazy with it. Um how many takedowns does Khabib get off of kicks? If I had to ask you that. Right? Successfully. Not the ones he tries and fails, but like how many does he get per fight, right? So he's good for five takedowns per 15 minutes. I don't know if you know that. Actually, a little bit more, five and a half. How many of those come from caught kicks? The answer is almost none. Very few. Very few. He might do the bit where he shoots a low single, wraps it, and then lifts it up like as if he had caught it. But from the actual act of catching a kick... How many does he do? Very rare. So, you don't want to abuse that reality, but you want to take advantage of it. I said in my video that I put out on the threats that Justin poses to Khabib, the uh, two things you should note about Justin striking, if you divide his UFC career into two chapters, the first three, Johnson, Alvarez, excuse me, Poirier, and then the last four, Vic, Barboza, Cerrone, Ferguson. Right, so you have these three and then those four. Okay, 
what would be the major differences? Well, one is all wins and all losses. But, I mean, in the striking department, what would be the major difference? I could point to a lot of specifics, but the biggest one that stood out to me was his volume went down. Now, normally when I talk about someone's volume going down, I say it in a, in a, in a negative way, that it impacted their performance negatively. For him, it is the exact opposite. It went up. His quality went up. His quantity went down. By virtue of his quantity offensively going down, the amount of times he got hit plummeted. Right? Because before he would just kind of stand there a little bit and pressure, and he would just cover up and be drilled over and over again. Now he is in and out, side to side, setting it up. Sometimes he likes what he sees and he throws, whatever that may be. But a lot of times he circles back out and he takes his time. Okay, so that's the first part is he doesn't get hit as much. He lands less, but much more qualitatively. And what that has allowed him to do is stay at a safer distance, right? He stands further apart because now he can negotiate that space a little bit better. If you don't know how to negotiate, you have to just stand there. But if you know how to negotiate and, and bridge that gap, you can actually get pretty far. So as he does that... Um, He's throwing a lot of calf kicks. And the reason why the calf kicks are so important is because you can throw those relative to the traditional Muay Thai kicks to the thigh. You can throw those from further away. Now, that doesn't mean that just because he does that, Khabib won't have some answer for it. I'm just pointing out, given your options, that's a pretty good one. And he likes to start out with it and then bring the hands along after it. The Barboza fight is a pretty good example of that. That's the thing he did there um, a lot. So I would say he's going to use both. When it comes to his hands, what is he really good at? You know, I tend to think that you have to really pressure Khabib. Pressuring him potentially ups the possibility he could get a takedown because it's a lot easier to take someone down if they're trying to, to push into you, especially if you get that level change and that timing just right. So there's an added risk there. But just what the tape shows, when he gets really pressured backwards, he his offense kind of shuts down a little bit. Now, that doesn't last very long, but from what time it does last it has you know the sort of noticeable impact um, but that will also help him navigate the distance back him up land leg kicks switch stance into combination to close the distance um, he's very good at collar ties right he'll switch stance to get into range then he'll grab the back of the head and then he'll you know fire a shot behind it um, a lot of times what he'll do is he'll fake a knee tap takedown use that to establish the collar tie and then drive a shot across so those are a lot of the things that he likes to do. He has a phenomenal left hook that he a lot of finishes a lot of combinations with. And he can switch stance, not merely to get into range, but as you saw, he can finish off opposition as they move along the fence line to, like if you pressure them and they got to go one way and they go another way, he can switch stance to intercept like he did for Barboza, which is almost identical to what Stipe did to DC in what, the first or second round of their fight in the third time? So he's got a lot of skills in that way. Uh, the only risk is, to the extent you can land a punch on someone, you can be take, taken down, right? The the old rule for double leg is, if I can reach my arm out and touch you, that's how far I need to be before I, I shoot. On the other hand, what we have seen from Nurmagomedov is he will shoot from way outside. Way outside. So, you know, it's a bit of a complicated scenario. You just got to pick where you think you're going to be best and, and let it rock, I think. Do you think it's strange that the UFC accepts fighters gambling on their own teammates' fights? It's a sport that insider information can affect odds greatly and one where all but the top echelon of fighters aren't earning great money. 
Um, I have not thought about that very much. I mean, the consequences of throwing a fight is, uh, you know, banishment from the sport, basically, if you get caught. Which is a fairly strong deterrent, I think. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I tend to think it's probably not a big problem. But I could see how someone might abuse the system, if that's what you mean. But I don't have a good thought on that. I need to, I need to think about that more. It's a, good, it's a fine question. I just don't have a great answer for it. Jesus, what kind of a question is this? Would you rather battle one Brock Lesnar-sized Khabib? Man, fuck that. Or five Carla Esparza-sized Brock Lesnar's? kind of a dumbass question is this? I don't know. Uh, your mom. I don't know. I don't, we don't want to say some dumbass shit like this. All right. Considering you've watched a lot of footage on Kamzat Shumayev, is there anybody outside the top five of either welterweight or middleweight that you think gives him a run for his money? And provides a level of resistance he has not faced. Sure, anyone outside the top five. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand this. Or do you think he runs through everyone until facing a top five contender? Man, man, listen. I know this sounds like some kind of um, like dodge. But it's, it's really not. Chemayev obviously looks the part. And when I say look to, looks the part, I'm not making a cosmetic assessment of his facial hair. I'm saying every time he steps in the octagon, he just looks like he has something special going on. But hello, you know, Gerald Mearshart was interesting because he showed that he has power, uh, Chemayev did. But guys, the amount of, like, assuredness everyone has that he's going to mow down contenders 6 through 15, y'all got to stop that shit. I'm not telling you it's wrong. I'm not telling you it's right. I'm saying it's a situation that heretofore is unknowable. It's not knowable. You can make an educated guess, but you don't know. You don't know. And I mean, like what is he? Yes, everything he's done has been very, very impressive. I certainly acknowledge. And, you know, uh, the tape on him knocking people out on the regional scene should have told everyone that against Mearshard, that was at least a possibility that they should have taken seriously. Um, we've been over that a few times, but like have him fight someone in the top 15 outside of the top 10 first, if they win that and he wins it impressively and like, you know, Oh my God, it was crazy dominant. Okay. Bump him up the food chain then pump the brakes, <laughs> pump the brakes. This is not a declaration that it's all hot air and there's no truth to it. And he'll lose the instant he faces. No, maybe he's the next champion. I don't know, but I'm just saying there's like this assuredness that, okay, well, he's ready to fight. You know, Colby at 170 or uh, Bohashinya at middleweight. No, you got some work to do, player. What you have shown has been very, very impressive. There's a long road of, of impressive victories you have to get to before you start talking about somebody at that level. So, first of all, pick a weight class. And then, second of all, let's see what you can really do. 
Um, I would have loved to have seen the Neil Magny fight. That would have been very, very good. You know, uh, maybe I even favored Shemaev to beat Magny. I don't know. But there's like this amount of, okay, well, I mean, let's just go ahead and give him the, you know, UFC honorary belt because we can just, you know, set our watch to the declaration of him being uh, uh, labeled as a champion. It's like, y'all know that like the challenges he has in front of him are way fucking harder than the ones he's had to this point, right? Everyone knows that? Will you send your daughter to public school, private, or homeschool? Why? Well, definitely not homeschool, because they come out weird when you do that. Um, I went to public school all my life, which was an experience. I don't know, man. Y'all know, I mean, y'all may not know this. Washington, D.C. <clears throat> has the most expensive health care, I'm not sorry, um, daycare of any city in the country, more than New York, more than LA, more than San Francisco. It's number one, number one for childcare costs as it relates to that. So I'm already being bled dry for that kind of shit. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not opposed to public schools cause I went to them, but you know, I think every parent's going to do what's best in their child's interest. And I'll have to evaluate that later. Who has a better hairline, Khabib or Luke? Probably Khabib, but um, he didn't do a whole lot with it. Not that I'm like you know killing the game or anything, but you know I got at least a little product in my hair and beard. Okay, did you not have a live chat last week? Well, I tried, but I had a gazillion tech problems right off the bat, which I've now resolved, and uh, so I just deleted the the uh, the file the, the video. I didn't even I didn't even mess with it. I just deleted it straight up. Uh, am I the only one who thinks Whitaker is going to get steamrolled by Cannoneer? Man, boy, this is funny. This is a funny one. Um, I was looking at the odds. If you guys don't go to bestfightodds.com, you should. It's a great repository. Um, they don't pay me or anything. It's no plug or payola. It's just a great reference tool. And, uh, in fact, I'll go there right now. Um, best fight... Uh, and if you want boxing odds, if you click on it, they have a, like underneath, they have latest odds, archive, alerts, widget, boxing. If you click on boxing, you can get all the boxing odds. But okay. They have Cannoneer Whitaker as a pick 'em. Boy, I don't agree with that at all. Now, normally when you say that the odds are different from with the actual reality of how competitive it might be, the default response is that, right, but the odds are often set as a way to induce betting, not merely reflect someone's chances, right? It's not a scientific analysis. It's also a way to get people to fork over cash. In that case, though, there's no real benefit to the bet because there's no real way to earn uh, a lot. So that's not the greatest explanation. I don't understand the idea that Cannoneer and Whitaker have an equal chance. Now, even if it was, let's say, Cannoneer plus 150, Whitaker minus 120, where Whitaker was a very modest favorite and Whitaker was a plus 150, understand he would be Cannoneer in that case, the underdog there, but still have a very, the odds makers would still be telling you that is an extremely competitive fight, right? Here they're telling you it's a coin flip. I don't agree that it's a coin flip. I, I would actually favor Whitaker. And here's the reason why. It's Cannoneer, um, it is true, at middleweight, he is way better than 
he was at light or heavy. I mean, it's hard to imagine that he fought at heavyweight at a time, but he certainly did. But uh, he's very athletic. He's certainly well-developed, well-schooled, comes from a great camp. Um, But I think to the extent that you bring in an opponent that really is good about uh, making use of angles, timing, feints, um, misdirection, that's when they're able to have some success. Now, at light heavyweight, you know, Glover Teixeira took him down and passed his guard and you know, okay, well, that's different. It was not the right weight class for him, and Glover's a beast, and uh, he's great on the ground, and like, okay, whatever. But on the feet, it was the things that I think aforementioned. Well, you know, those tend to be things that Robert Whitaker is very good at. And now you're going to add speed to them and blitzing. Now, I suppose if Cannoneer has a really good game plan built around timing, standing your ground, leg kicks, um doing a lot of the fainting himself to slow Whitaker down like Till did, then maybe he he might be able to get somewhere with it. I don't want you to, un- uh, this is not some declaration that like th- this is an unwinnable fight for Cannoneer. Cannoneer is very much in my mind, a live dog. I think he's very, very talented. Okay. I just didn't understand the odds that it was a coin flip. That's the part that I'm a little bit like, and that, even by the way, I know some betters are going to say, Oh, that's not exactly what Pickham means. I understand. I'm just trying to make the best, uh, I'm trying to explain it as best I can in the, in the most layman terms possible. Um, so to me, I think Whitaker should be the favorite. Slight, slight, but should be the favorite. He he showed up poorly against Adesanya and was very careful against Till. Cannoneer is typically somebody you're going to be able, able to be, at least relative to what Till now does, show a little bit more... Um, the fight will be opened up a little bit more, so I don't, I don't, I don't quite understand that one, um, candidly. But you know, you claim that uh, Canner's going to wipe the floor with him. Okay, I would love to see it uh, because, by the way, it'd be a fresh challenge for Adesanya. I think Canner's a good dude. It'd be nice to see a good dude in the game get an opportunity. But I think you know both of these guys have their work cut out for them. Uh, when do we get a BC live chat? I don't know. Ask BC. But this is my live chat. I have noticed that fighters aren't scrambling to put on their Reebok shirts for post-fight interviews anymore. Do you think that soon all Reebok logo, logos <clears throat> excuse me, will be blurred out on archived fights like other unapproved sponsors? I doubt it. You know how much work that is? That's seven years of you know thousands of fights. I bet they're just going to let it rock. That's just too much work. Uh, you reviewed the movie Warrior on Morning Combat with BC. Yes, very overrated, but some really good, strong individual performances. Uh, this person asks, have you ever watched the show Kingdom? I have not. I personally found it to be a bit more enjoyable and better than Warrior. Uh, of course, there's a few foibles in it. It's not perfect, but for an MMA-based fictional TV show, I found the storylines compelling and overall I enjoy- enjoyed it more than Warrior. Do you have any thoughts on it as a show? And it versus the movie Warrior. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's finally available on Netflix, so no jank streams required. Um, okay, let me say this. I have heard nothing but good things about Warrior, excuse me, um, Kingdom, from a lot of people who have good taste in uh, movies or TV shows. So when you tell me it's good, 
you are echoing the um, honest recommendations from people who I know know what they're looking at and care about. I just don't have any more time in my life for like MMA stuff. Like MMA consumes so much of my life that if I don't have to do something with it, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to play UFC video game. I don't, you know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't want to talk fights with, luckily none of my friends watch fights. Uh, oh, I mean, they'll watch like, you know, actually it's funny. Some are going to watch the Nurmagomedov fight. Nurmagomedov, Habib, Jorge, you know, that kind of a thing. They'll talk about it with me, but otherwise they don't ask, um, which I, I used to be like really annoyed about when I was like fucking insane about MMA and I had, you know. I had no other priority in life, but I have other priorities. And so you have to understand, like, to make, you know, it took me a long time to make that Gaethje interview, or interview, I'm sorry, um, video. One, because I had to shoot it and edit it, but I had to go through and find all the clips through all of his fights that I wanted to use. And then, you know, oh, Luke, you don't have to shoot in 4K. All right, I don't, but that's not going to save that much time. It's just, it saves a little bit of time on the back end. And like this Habib fight, you know, I had to go through the last five years of his fights, make a list of all the things I thought would be relevant, and then go through and then identify all of them, chop them up, put them on there. You know, on Sundays, I have to spend all my Sundays mostly away from my family to prep for Monday's show, to get everything I need ready for, dissected. You know, if I don't have to be paying attention to MMA, and we're not talking about a lot of time here, we're talking about a very little amount of time, I don't want to I don't, I don't, I don't be around it. Um. There's other things I would rather do. I mean, I've got a bunch of books I've not been even able to read just yet. I'm behind on um, that, you know, including the the last one I showed you. So I'd rather do that. But you might be right. I'm sure it's a good show. I take no issue with your assessment. Uh, referring to your comments on last Wednesday's episode of Morning Combat, saying Khabib or any other Dagestani is buddying up with Kadyrov is like saying a North Korean is buddying up to Kim Jong-un. Kadyrov is a murderous dictator that can and has had Chechens and Dagestanis killed for what you and many other Americans would be consider almost nothing. His entire family and friends quite literally live next door to Kadyrov. At the first sign of disrespect, Kadyrov could have anyone in Chechnya or Dagestan quote-unquote touched. Basically... If you're a public figure in that region and Kandirov invites you to come have dinner with him or anyone else, you don't just turn him down. Your thoughts, right. This is about the 1,000th time someone has brought this up to me, and it's a perfectly reasonable response, but it just assumes a lot. It assumes that everybody in Kadyrov's orbit, literally 100%, in every case, every day, all the time, doesn't share his, his ideas in part, in worldview, or in some kind of troubling fraction of it. I mean, it, right? You're just automatically assuming the good faith response here. I mean, there are people who are committed within North Korea to preserving its communist dictatorship. That's a real thing. They're absolutely committed to it. Um, there's a lot that, of course, aren't that have no choice, to your point. So, like, is it entirely conceivable that Nurmagomedov can't stand that guy? But to your point, just goes through the motions as a way of, you know, keeping himself and his family safe. Yes, of course. And in, perhaps even the most likely, I, I'm not here impugning his character for things I don't know, but you absolutely cannot dis, dispute the other part, right? Uh, you cannot, I mean, you, if you don't draw a distinction between yourself and Kadyrov, which he doesn't do, uh, the question is relevant. 
the question is relevant. And what the answer might be, you can choose to take the rosy assessment or you can choose to not take the rosy assessment. Either is perfectly valid. But you cannot, for whatever reasons of self-preservation or this is how politics is done in the Middle East or, well, you know, uh, it's not quite the Middle East at that point, but the Caucasus region, uh, fine, make, make whatever assessment you want to make. But everyone just defaults to, oh, well, it must be the good guy assessment. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. You don't know. You don't know. And he's had a number of other viewpoints related to various art uh, exhibits or music acts in Dagestan that have not been exactly like in lockstep with you know what I would call modern progressive values. That doesn't mean he shares Kadyrov's worldview. I'm, to be clear, I don't know what he shares. But the question will be relevant as long as that behavior is a thing that is a part of what he does, period. That's the end of it. Asking the question continuously and wondering about it is is 1,000% reasonable. If it makes you feel better as a Nurmagomedov fan to think that it's just a thing for, done for political and personal survival, that's a thing you're allowed to do, but you don't know that. You don't know that. What everyone wants media to do is take a figure that they cover that the fans like and then treat that person as the fan would were they in the media's position. Sorry, that's not how this works. And fans don't have to like it. it, it we, we don't do it to get, to get, well, some media do it to get liked because they're not really media. But if you like somebody as uh, an object of adoration as a fan, I'm not here to police your fandom. Like what you like. But media is under no obligation in every case to adopt this rosy view of things because to you that sounds palatable. Is the term world champion overused in combat sports? Yes, of course. Can we talk about the face-off interview with Justin and Habib? I loved it. No trash, just respect and violent intentions. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the fights, you know, they don't need a whole lot extra. That is one thing I like about Nurmagomedov. I mean, the, the Connor fight was just poisonous and awful, right? But in general, you don't, you don't really need or get that much, you know? With Dustin fight, you got hardly any of it. And still, it was great. You know, I kind of enjoyed it. So the whole argument like, oh, well, more trash talk will lead to better results. Yeah, maybe that's true, you know? In fact, there's a lot of evidence that it's true. But if you personally, as a fan or an observer, don't need that much to get you excited, uh, I commend you. Because I think you make a lot of people's lives a lot easier. Can we get a full treatment with you and BC doing your live post-fight show Saturday since it ends so early? Um, I think so. I don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe, probably. Probably. I don't want to commit to something we can't do. It really depends on um, the folks who make the show possible. But I think so. I mean, you're de here's what I can tell you. You're definitely going to get post-fight content. I mean, that's a given. What kind? I don't know. It's a great question. I apologize. I don't have a better answer for you. Is Jorge Masvidal a bad stylistic matchup for socialism? What the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> what does that even mean? 
Uh, I'm going to skip that. That's a ridiculous question. Uh, okay. What are your thoughts about the situation between Armenia and Azerbaijan and the reaction of many fighters, including Dylan Dennis, Edmund Shabazi, and Travis Brown and Ronda Rousey? I've not seen anyone other than – I don't pay attention to any of those folks except Edmund Shabazian. Uh, and that remember that flag that he walked out with that he got in trouble for at the Brunson fight? That flag is the one of the region that is causing the dispute between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I support Armenian interests. Is that some kind of, you know, crazy revelation? But again, it goes back to the original question. Like, it seems a lot more fighters, whether domestically or internationally, seem a lot more inclined to get involved in political advocacy um now they might label this as you know national interests or human rights depending on how you want to look at it or you know the unfairness of a territorial dispute or however they want to label it but still it's political advocacy on some level and they didn't used to do it like this it's kind of interesting like we live in an age where all of the firewalls that kept that kind of thing either secret or hidden or just they didn't have any interest they have gone they've gone away did you guys get a kick out of Khabib sending Stephen A. Smith to hell? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. I didn't. I mean, you know, I, I like y'all know I have no love lost for Stephen A. Smith. At the same time, I just sort of know how the game is played. Like, if you are on a show like that, the producer is going to be screaming in your ear to ask about Connor. There's no way when they planned that show and they told them Khabib was coming on that they were like not going to ask about him. They just have to. That's just the way the game is played. That's just, I, I know it. I, gu- I guarantee that was on the when they get a rundown. Okay, here's what we're going to have segment by segment on the show. Let's talk about it, blah, blah, blah. You need to ask about Connor. And they even, I bet you they decided ahead of time. Steven will ask, you know, Max will do something different or whatever. Uh, I guarantee it. I guarantee it. So, like, on some level, you know, I enjoyed it. On another level, it's like kind of doing his job a little bit. Uh, it looks like Leon Edwards was removed from the welterweight rankings on UFC.com. How much longer do you think he can, he can wait with the UFC possibly playing dirty like that? I mean, I said this on Twitter. Hold on, I'm gonna, I got some Afrin. My nose is closing up. Hold on just a second. I know this is awful, but, you know, I'd like to breathe. Make sure everything looks good. Yeah, okay. Um, do y'all want me to like muster some righteous indignation about this? Because I don't have any. Not today. I've, I've done this before, man. You know, I, I mean, here, here's something that like in media, if you do it long enough covering MMA, it's like every day is fucking Groundhog Day, man. I mean, every day brings something new. That's not the right analogy. But it's like, God, the echoes of history are not hard to miss. This has happened before, you know. Um, They did it with Nate Diaz for a time. And, uh, I mean, here's here's the reality. It's their rankings. And they're not very good, but they're theirs. And you guys know how the UFC operates, right? Unless they are basically shut down by the force of law. 
they're going to do whatever it is that they want to do. Now, they will be in compliance with the law, although they got a little bit dicey there with the uh, when they tried to do those shows back in – well, they, they didn't do it, but when they were going to go to Tachi. But in general, you know, you can accuse the UFC of a lot of things, but in general, in general, their compliance with what the written legal uh, requirement is is exceptionally high. It's very, 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 very high. Okay? And so – uh, you know, if they own these rankings and however terrible they might be, they can control them and they can do whatever they want with them. They're going to, they have in the past, they're doing it right now. Am I telling you that that is a thing that is fair to Leon necessarily? No. Am I telling you that that the way he's being treated, uh, is, you know, that they've not that they've looked uh, the, looked the other way for other fighters and they didn't look the other way for him based on whatever it is whatever criteria they felt was important you know without some kind of uniform standard yes of course of course what am I going to tell you that's not true it's obviously true so I'm not telling you that Leon is being treated all that great that's not that's not the point or that he has no right to be mad nothing but dude it's like they're going to do whatever the fuck they want to do so you want this kind of stuff to go away? It's the same shit we've been saying at this point now year after year. There used to be a long time where you could reasonably accuse the MMA media. And you could still do it to a certain extent. But there was a long time where you could accuse them of not covering sensitive issues related to um, pay or uh, the amount of control in the industry that the UFC had or blah, blah, blah. You know, you can't do that anymore. There's been enormous amounts of coverage about the Ali Act. There's been enormous amounts of coverage. Maybe you, maybe you could say there should be more, but still, like, it's not gone unnoticed. It's not, I mean, I've spent years talking about it, years, about unionization or having a, a, a fighter's association or something. Something with the kind of teeth and legal imprimatur uh, to force the UFC to do other things. Because if you don't do any of that shit, they're just going to do what they want to do. Folks, do you think that this is the last time they're going to do something like this? Really? You think this is the last time they're going to get sideways with some fighter who they got an issue with? And by the way, he's not blameless here. Like, turning down the Thompson fight? You know, I mean, I sort of get it, but not really. I guess it's a tough fight. Um, he was, I think, he was sitting at five. You know, you'd been inactive and blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. But, like, okay, even if you want to take Leon's side in that. Folks, y'all think this is the last time they're going to do some shit like this? Really? You know? I was talking about the other day. They were arguing about fighter pay off of the uh, Korean zombie card with Ortega versus Lomachenko and Lopez. And the comparison is in no way all that fair because we're talking about two sets of fighters here in, in different positions in their careers. Uh, but you know, the boxers are going to make more and you know, there's a bunch of people being like, what about locker room bonuses and blah, blah, blah. Like the, 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 the jig is up. The game is over. There is no debate about fighter pay anymore. It is over. Dunzo. It is 18 to 20% every year gross revenue pegged and they want to keep it that way. And the, the court documents say it's going to be that way, that they've got it down to a science to keep it that way. So yes, if they go from a hundred million in revenue to 200 million, the money goes up. It's not stuck at a certain fixed number. It's all a function of a proportion, but that's what it is. That's just what it is. 
It's, it's over. It's over. And if you want it to stop being 18 to 20%, legislation, fighters association, uh, or a union. That's it. That's it, folks. That's just what it's going to be. It's what it's going to be. So I'm not saying there can't be times, you know, where it's okay to, to grab your pitchfork and really, you know, or, or show up to the, uh, to the manager's office and bang your fist down on the four mica and ask to speak to him. You know, there's going to be times for that. Okay. But in general, it's like, you want to be upset about Leon Edwards being taken off this. I have seen this fucking movie before. And by the way, it doesn't necessarily end all that badly. Like if he takes another fight, they'll fire him right back in there. And then the rankings panel who is, you know, it's five gerbils and three lizards and then two ganglia bobbing at the end of somebody's spine with just enough of a corporeal body to type keys to, you know, fire up uh, rankings every uh, every week. You know, they'll put them right back there. Like, it's not, it's not necessarily all that damaging anyway based on what we know historically. So, you know, I just, I just, I don't have it in me anymore to like, Oh, let's rail against the UFC's practices. Is it harmful to Leon that they did this? Yes, of course it is. Dude, (laughs) there's literally one way to fix this. Well, three ways, but in one. Unless you have the force of law to compel them to honor legislation that gets passed or um, the force of law that requires them as an entity to negotiate with a union or whatever the situation like that. That's it, folks. That's the beginning, and that is the ending of this conversation. I want fighter pay to grow, go up. There is one fucking way you get there. That's it. And you cannot look to media to be your outrage ventriloquist. You know, that's really what they want. Oh, well, let's, uh, you know, the fighter is going to put their hand up the ventriloquist dummies, you know, rear end. Well, I'm, my name is, you know, so-and-so. I work at fuckboy.mma.com, and I'm so mad about Leon, you know, where they just do the bidding on behalf of the fighter. Media's been doing that shit for years, for years. And what has it amounted to? Zip. Zip. You know, I think it probably helped a little bit in, you know, uh Growing the Overton window about what is acceptable conversation around some of these issues. Maybe it helped spur some of the action as it relates to that big fighter lawsuit that's happening, right? That kind of a thing, you know, but there is just one way you have to force them and make them comply with what the law is. And until the law changes, they're just going to do what they always do. And that's it. All right, I'm going to skip this next one because it's not very good. Um, opinions on Arnold Allen versus Jeremy Stevens and what it could mean for both guys. Love that fight. Such a great fight. If Allen wins, it'll be an eight-fight win streak in the UFC. Could do. Uh, could a big win do something similar for, to the win for Till over Cowboy? I don't think it would mean as much as that. Uh I don't think it would be as much as that, but I think it's something relatively, I won't say equivalent. It's a bit of a step down from that, but it's pretty close. Arnold Allen is the quietest up-and-coming contender probably there is maybe in the UFC at this point. He is very talented, very good. 
but needs some names over some needs. Oh, excuse me, some wins over some really recognizable names. Steven is a step in that right direction. I don't think it's quite as impactful as what Till got with the win over Cowboy, but you're on the right track. Some more questions about some Armenian conflicts. I'll skip that for the time being. MMA tag team dream match. Izzy and DC versus John Jones and Brock. Who wins? The more consistent team is Izzy and DC. So I'll go with them. Another question about Leon Edwards being removed. Uh... This question is similar to what I just answered, but there's one more thing I want to add, so I'm going to read it. What do you think uh, unbiased media of the UFC, such as your show, my show is not unbiased, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, Brendan Schaub and others have uh, enough power to create change in such issues as fighter pay, unionization, as it seems at the moment the largest media content of the UFC is run by UFC employees or friends of Dana White. There's a new form of media, if you guys have seen this, that is like totally buddy buddy with UFC like it used to be somewhere like we're gonna be media uh, but we're gonna like basically be friendly and sort of pretend that we're not friendly as like a way of showing to the public because they knew you can blame those individual media members all you want but their employers would never let them get away with actual journalism right I mean that was the that's the key factor there so it really is the 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 companies I, I would put some blame on it predominantly if not exclusively but uh and now you see people like just going their own direction be like you know i'm not even gonna fucking pretend to be anything other than just a fan of this shit and honestly it's a it's a it's a more honest way to do it to be to be quite candid with you like they're not claiming they're anything other than what they are i speak for the fan i'm a fan i'm just in it for the fan shit like okay so there's this bifurcation that has happened on that level number one number two my show and anything I do, I am not unbiased. I am completely biased. Here's news for everybody. Everybody in media has their own set of biases. Were you born in America? Were you born overseas? Were you born rich? Were you born poor? Were you born male, female, white, black, gay, straight? Did you have a good education? Did you have a bad one? Did your mom beat the fuck out of you as a kid? Did she not? Did you have a bunch of friends? Did you have girlfriends? Did you get laid in high school? Did you not... Did you read enough books? Did you have these formative experiences that changed the way you look at the world? And you can do this all the way up. All of those things will impact how you look at the world. What you have to do is, one, try to temper any kind of way in which you might overvalue those things, one. And two, you have to be honest with the audience about who you are. I tell you who I am. I don't make any, any I don't hide anything. Right? Anything that you deserve to know in terms of the way in which I look at the world, I tell you. And a lot of people use that for their own amusement or they use it for the ascribing of bad faith motivation. It's the opposite. It allows you to make a judgment about the things I am telling you. Rather than me pretending to be NBC News and I'm covering the story exactly as it should be because I have all the motivation I need to do this right and Walter Cronkite hashtag journalism. It's a bunch of bullshit. It's not real. It's not real at all. For all of my faults, and there are many, you can at least know that if I'm giving you my opinion, I'm telling it to you honestly and you can weigh it based on everything you know about me, about how true it is or how much you want to listen to it or, or not. You have total freedom in that regard 
to make an assessment that way. Now, again, you have to temper some of those things. You can't just give in to your own worldview and then turn into advocacy. I think that becomes a problem as well, but you can't hide from it. It's a, it's a hard needle to thread, but you have to do it. Secondly, more to the point of the question itself, folks, everyone keeps thinking, and I, for a time I thought this too, so this, your question is totally fair. They thought that if the media just gave coverage to these issues, it would solve the problems. It didn't. Fighters, fans, interested parties, lend me your ear. Verily I say unto you, (laughs) the cavalry ain't coming. The media is not the cavalry and them amplifying any message or story that you find important, it ain't drawing anybody out to come save you. The fighters, if you talk to them in private, they will all talk about how much they get fucked six ways to Sunday. They know it. You know, they're not stupid. They know it. But there's a lot of them who think that if they just wait around, somebody else is going to do the work for them to get them to a place where they can then have a union or whatever, whatever the, the, the fixed situation is where the pay will go up and everything will get better. And maybe this lawsuit will be that, but even if it is, it's going to take a long time to get there. I mean, we still haven't even got to the point where class certification has happened. But what if, the, what if that lawsuit fails? Like, the cavalry ain't coming. It ain't coming, folks. It's the same, it sounds like some kind of stupid bumper sticker wisdom, Obama-esque in its ridiculousness, but it really is kind of true, which is if you want change in the world, you have to be the creator of it. It's as simple as that. You know, cavalry ain't coming. And so I don't think that there are enough parties who have accepted that. I mean, what else could, how many more op-eds can be written about pay about how bad the rankings are, about how the Reebok outfitting policy was totally unfair, about how whatever the good things you might think are there about USADA, about how some of the things are unfair. And USADA has been, I think, somewhat amenable to the criticisms that have been levied their way, um, but not enough of them, okay? And on and on and on and on. Cavalry ain't coming. And I think the sooner people understand that, the sooner they'll understand, like, what you really want to do or not, or not do about it. Maybe you'll just say, okay, well then fuck it. It'll just be what it is, but you have to accept that now. Are people jumping the gun a bit to crown Nurmagomedov the lightweight goat? His work has been nothing short of fantastic, but I feel he's really only had a handful of elite wins under his belt. I still think there's a solid argument for BJ Penn as the GOAT at 155. Sometimes I just think we as fans have a bit of recency bias. Uh, no, BJ Penn at the GOAT at 155, no. I don't think his... And you got, I mean, BJ Penn in his prime, I've said this a million times, he was like the dream fighter. He was the dream fighter, man. God, it fucking kills me. <laughs> if you'd have told me... What year is it, 2020? If you had told me 12 years ago that BJ Penn would be in the situation that we're in today, I would have never believed it. I would have never believed it. 
You know, you just can't imagine the stock drop. It is, it's, uh, you know, he was the first guy that boxing coaches were like, his jabs are good. He has a good jab. You know, uh, fucking hit hard. Amazing takedown defense. First American to win the uh, world championships, the Mundials in jiu-jitsu. When he was training with the Marinoviches, had good cardio. You know, and there, this is one thing you guys may not appreciate. He was hard to hurt because he had a good, he had like a rocked fucking fire hydrant chin. Chin, excuse me. And he couldn't, he didn't cut very easily. The first time I ever saw him really lumped up and hurt was in the Nick Diaz fight. Um, even when he fought Machida or had that really bad ending against Fitch or uh, the two times he fought St. Pierre. I mean, he fucked St. Pierre up the first time. And St. Pierre got a little bit lucky with that one. I mean, Penn took it to him. You just can't imagine. Like, you know, did that guy have this grandiosity about him in terms of the totality of what he offered the fight game that Khabib does not? Yes, that is true. But in terms of the record of achievement, do I think that Nurmagomedov has more work to do to really complete this idea that he is as good as we think he might be? I also think that is true. I also think that what he's done to this point far surpasses the resume of BJ Penn. It's just that BJ Penn represented something almost mythical with all of the different facets of the fight game he was so good at. Thoughts on the Ghislaine Maxwell case. I think I'm pronouncing her name right. Uh, one of the most prominent and devious cases of law history. Well, I don't know if it's in the history of law. I mean, you know, she's a fucking monster in every way possible. But in the history of law, I mean, <laughs> you know, you I mean since the invention of law, when was that? The 12th century or something? I mean, there's been, you know, are we talking about the Crusades and shit? Like, uh, you know, Maxwell's not as bad as that. Uh but yes, if you got, I don't know much about her. All I know is from that uh, documentary that was on, it was a Dirty Money, that was on Netflix. I mean, she is a, allegedly, an absolutely reprehensible creature. A, she was the one who was helping Epstein, you know, recruit women who would then recruit other girls, you know, so she was part of this like chain of custody of abuse and pedophilia and everything else, um, and rape and everything. And she was, you know, again, allegedly totally complicit in it not just complicit but frankly an engineer of all of it like uh honestly on par with epstein in many ways and in fact there are i think if i remember correctly some of the times that epstein would engage in alleged abuse i want to make sure i say that fairly um or just abuse whatever maxwell also took part in it in certain occasions so it wasn't that she set up this recruitment uh conveyor belt of abuse but that she took part in it sometimes. I mean, and then threatened people who wanted to go public with it and like tried to ruin their lives and like sue them into oblivion. I mean, she is a total monster, uh, a monster in the worst way. But in the history of law, I mean, you know, <laughs> are we going to take her to the Hague and try her there? Like the, uh, the people in charge of the gas chambers at Auschwitz and, and Dachau. I, I don't know if she's on that level, but yes, it's quite bad. Um, I'll do one more, maybe two more. Do you think that Khabib can be considered an all-time great if he only defends the belt 
a handful of times. He's only fought three of the top 15 lightweights. You mean the current top 15 lightweights? He hasn't come close to what GSP Silva and Jones has accomplished. Yes, I think, I think in that sense, the long record of achievement would, would, um, would be a problem. On the other hand, you know, it's, it's just hard to... It's, it, like, someone has to come up with some criteria because how do you weigh the great run Silva and GSP were on, but then they had a couple of losses mixed in, right? You know, they had a couple of times, in uh, the case of Silva, or excuse me, St. Pierre, where, you know, things went off the rails. And then Silva had that great streak in the middle, but had some losses before, and then a bunch of losses after. Jones is a little bit different. Uh, maybe you, for those reasons you can consider above him. But the reason why Khabib is a sort of a little bit ascendant relative to what the resume may or may not actually say is because it's pristine. It's because he has no losses. Um, Jones is the same. Well, he's got the one against, you know. But um, And also he's doing it in a very, very, very tough division. Right? Good question. If Gaethje convincing, convincingly finishes Khabib, do we see an immediate rematch? I tend to think that we do. I tend to think it doesn't matter what Gaethje does. There's going to be an immediate rematch. Unless... Nurmagomedov doesn't want it. Dude, if you're the first guy... To, I mean, it's going to be the same thing when someone beats John Jones. If and when that ever happens. You're the first guy to beat... like, to, I mean, Matt Hamill, notwithstanding. I mean, really beat him. You're the first guy to do that. You're going to have to do it twice. I firmly believe that. Unless Nurmagomedov doesn't want it. And it's like, you know, I need to get back in the line or blah, blah, blah. But if Gagey goes out there and puts it on Nurmagomedov, there's going to be so many people who say it's because his dad wasn't there... Or, you know, whatever the case. I absolutely am convinced he's going to have to do it twice. Don't have any proof other than that's just sort of the way combat sports and even MMA has worked. But, you know, to take something from a guy that makes him what he is, you have to prove it wasn't accidental or just, you know, uh, lightning in a bottle. Or you have to be able to reproduce it. And I think, I think that's the situation we're going to be in. All right. That's enough for today. Uh, if you like the video, give it a thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button. Morning Combat coming your way at 11 a.m. tomorrow. After this chat ends, we're going to post. Uh, we did an interview with Steven Espinosa, the president of Showtime Sports. Um, by the way, BC asks him, do people still call you Weasel? <laughs> because remember, Connor called him a weasel at that Toronto press conference. And uh, he answers the question. You're going to want to hear the answer to it. And, uh, yeah, a bunch more content coming your way. We will have post-fight content on Saturday. I don't know exactly what form yet. Hopefully live. Hopefully me and BC together. I don't know the answer, so just wait on that. But we will have something. At a bare minimum, we'll have something for you to to, uh, sink your teeth into. And I can't wait. It's going to be so goddamn fun. So really appreciate you guys watching.